Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Good afternoon, good afternoon. Welcome to America's Heroes Group on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago. I am Vietnam veteran host Cliff Kelly. America's Heroes Group is a live streaming podcast, global platform, radio, print, and digital media broadcast show that empowers change agents through intentionally disseminating information, resources, and referrals to empower our military population. Thanks, Cliff, and welcome to America's Heroes Group with our roundtable with our partner, the Heinz VA's Women's Health Clinic. Today is Saturday, February 18, 2023. February is Black History and American Heart Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Cleveland, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. Our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our panelists with us, Dr. Caroline Ball. She's an assistant professor of cardiology at Loyola University Medical Center and the director of the Heinz VA's Women's Heart Program. And some other things I want to mention about Dr. Carolina Ball. She graduated with honors and distinction with research from Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine. To her residency with internal medicine at the Mayo Clinic. And she completed her fellowship in cardiology at Loyola University Chicago, where she now works. Dr. Ball conducts research on women's heart health. How are you doing? Wonderful. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited for you to be here, too, because it is American Heart Month. And we wanted to make this show important, particularly when it pertains to veteran women, women veterans. So tell me what, in particular, what is different or unique about women's veterans health, particularly when it comes to cardiovascular health, how is it different from men? Oh, that's a great question. You know, heart disease is the number one killer of women in the United States. There's this big misconception that it's breast cancer, but at the end of the day, more American women will die from cardiovascular disease than from all types of cancers combined. And this is particularly true for our veterans population. Um, When I think about the cardiovascular needs of women in particular, I really split it into a couple of different categories. Um, One is that women go through pregnancy, and pregnancy is really the first um, stress test on the heart. So as several of our um, veteran patients come back and um, go through pregnancy, um, it's really my privilege to help care for their cardiovascular needs throughout their pregnancy, whether that's because of heart disease going into pregnancy or heart disease that we discover during the pregnancy itself. Um, I also think about some of the particular diseases that can affect women more than men when it comes to the heart. And then finally, as women go through menopause, we see that they have a number of changes to their cardiac physiology. So we see blood pressure issues that might not have been present when they were younger. Um, And we can also see a particular type of heart failure called heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, which we tend to see in some of our older women patients. I'm glad you brought that up about um, pregnancies because doing research on this, I was very shocked and surprised to learn some of the things that go on with women's health, particularly with veterans. So what are APOs when when we're talking about women's pregnancy? APOs. So we're talking about, when we talk about APOs, we're talking about, make sure I have this, understand this. So, uh, so adverse, uh, 
pregnancy pregnancy outcomes. outcomes. Yeah. Um, You know, this is a tremendous problem in the United States. Um, We actually have a higher morbidity and mortality related to pregnancy than many other developed nations. And it's due to a variety of factors. One of the things that we're seeing is that as women um, are have their first pregnancy later and later in life, um, many of them will actually go into pregnancy with cardiovascular disease that they may not have had um, if they had had their pregnancy at a younger age. This means that we have to manage blood pressure. We have to manage cholesterol um, issues. And we also know that we need women to be their own advocates um, because there are cardiovascular problems that can come up during pregnancy. And and sometimes there's this thought that um, women can't get cardiovascular disease or young, healthy women uh, can't get cardiovascular disease. And it's important that women bring their symptoms up to their healthcare providers. Wow. So tell us, what are some of the different um, types of heart disease that affect women? And is there anything I want to add to this, though? Is there anything unique to veterans? Yeah. So um, there's a lot of conditions that we see more commonly in women than in men. Um, A few of the ones that I think about, um, one is something called SCAD or spontaneous coronary artery dissection. And this is when um, we see heart attacks in young, healthy women due to the blood vessel itself dissecting. So usually with a heart attack, there's a cholesterol plaque that ruptures and that blocks blood flow in the artery. In this condition, the blood vessel itself um, dissects, and we tend to see it in young, otherwise healthy women. Wow. Some of the other conditions, oh, I know it's um, kind of scary, um, yes. and we definitely <laughs> see it in the veteran population. Um, and that's, again, why it's important, especially when we think about veterans, um, these patients who um are often in really great physical shape to suddenly develop cardiovascular symptoms, it's important they speak up because they are at risk for having some type of heart disease beyond the traditional things that we think about. Um, Other conditions that we think of in the sphere of women's cardiovascular disease, um, women tend to have blockages in the smaller arteries around the heart. So we often think about um, a heart attack in the widowmaker or the, the left anterior descending, that big artery that runs down the front of the heart. But you can also develop plaque and blockages in these really small capillaries that lead and kind of feed the, the smaller parts of the heart muscle. This can be much harder to diagnose, but it can still cause the same symptoms of chest pain and shortness of breath that um, you typically think of with cardiovascular disease. And so what this means is that just because you've been told, oh, your angiogram was normal, doesn't mean that there couldn't be some degree of blockage that could be causing your symptoms, doesn't mean that your symptoms aren't real, and doesn't mean that you don't need treatment for things like high cholesterol and blood pressure and all of that. Let me ask you this, based on what you, you just mentioned, because I've, I've heard of this and read about this also. So the, the tiny blood vessels that get, get, get they can have problems, is there, is there any uh, greater risk or less risk than those major art arteries you mentioned? As far as That's a great question. You know, it kind of depends on where, which of the big arteries are involved. Um, when we think about sudden cardiac death, you know, like the what happens in the movies, the big blockage in the it's artery and, and, the, yeah, <laughs> and, the, and the rhythm, <laughs> the rhythm issues that come with that. Um, you know, that's often the epicardial disease. But when you think about life 
patients, right? The, the patient who used to be able to run up the stairs and now has to go up them slowly one at a time. A lot of, you can have the same degree of lifestyle limitation with blockages in those big arteries that you do in the small. And the other thing to think about is whenever you're developing plaque and blockage in one vascular bed, that means that you can develop plaque and blockage in other vascular beds. So that tells me that if you're got, if you have plaque in these small vessels around the heart, you may also have plaque in the blood vessels that lead to the brain. And all of these we can treat um, with a great class of medications. We just have to know that it's there and, and know that the symptoms are there. So what are the risk factors that are unique to women? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, there's several. So just like in traditional um, cardiovascular disease, things like smoking is the number one risk factor for cardiovascular disease. You know, if there were one thing that a veteran can do for their health, quitting smoking is it. Hmm. Other risk factors are high blood pressure and high cholesterol. In women specifically, um, adverse outcomes from their pregnancy, so things like preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, actually increase your risk of cardiovascular disease down the road. Um, it's something people think like, oh, it resolved, my pregnancy resolved and I'm, I'm um, fine, but actually you carry some risk with you as you go forward in life. Um, and then other things is um, sometimes treatment for other disease processes can lead to an increased risk of cardiovascular disease down the road. Um, the the condition I think about most is breast cancer. So women who receive certain types of chemotherapy for breast cancer are at risk for heart attack and for heart failure down the road. And women who receive radiation, particularly radiation to the left breast, because that sits right in front of the heart, are also at increased risk for heart attack and heart failure. Um, and we're talking, you know, 5, 10, 20 years later. Wow. So when so what are some of the things that people can do, particularly veterans, um, to to try to diagnose and get ahead of this so that it doesn't catch them at the at the wrong time when they're least likely to be able to overcome it or to have a bad outcome? Yeah. So again, the number one thing is to quit smoking. You know, if there were one thing you were going to do for your health, quitting smoking is it. But it's also important that you have a primary care doctor and that you're checking your blood pressure and your cholesterol regularly. Um, I tell my patients it's helpful to have a blood pressure cuff at home and check your blood pressure once or twice a week. Also, knowing what your cholesterol is can help you identify if you need to be taking medication to help lower your risk for heart disease. So people that are in the military, uh, particularly people that are active after the military, they do a lot of mm -hmm. exercise and things like that, might have low blood pressure or normal blood pressure, or they might not have <clears throat> high cholesterol, there's, but they can still be at risk. You mentioned for these heart disease. How do you how do you diagnose or find that or find out if you are in that category? Yeah. So we have some risk calculators we can use where we take information about your cholesterol and about your blood pressure. Um, but I often tell patients that exercise is one of the best ways to identify if you are at risk for cardiovascular disease. Because in many ways, when you're doing a regular exercise routine, that's just like doing a regular stress test. So when you find that you can't do the same things that you could have, you know, a couple weeks or months prior, that tells me that something has changed and we need to take another look. Wow. That's actually a very powerful point because 
that we see that often as we get older, but we don't think about or attribute it to maybe we think oh we're getting older, things like that, but we don't think oh our heart is also getting older and <laughs> our heart might also need yeah. to be looked at. You know. So what should women do are we doing to look at and prevent heart disease and stroke? What are some of the things that uh, we talk about I guess preventative maintenance? What are some of the most important things that women veterans particularly should be doing right now that you would say to all the women out there listening? Yeah. Well, I would say exercise is really, really important, just like we were talking about, because it kind of has a diagnostic and a preventive factor. Um, One of the challenges we have here in Chicago is that it's really only nice to exercise like two months a year outside. So it's important that people find a good exercise routine that they can do all year round. That means something that's safe, that they don't have to worry about the ice and snow. Um, And I encourage people to look at the resources we have here at the VA. Um, I know here at Heinz, we have a fantastic move program that can help people stay active. Um, And our social workers actually also have a great um, group of resources to use as far as, um, you know, how to take advantage of your health benefits and and make sure you're getting some some insurances will cover access to gym. And sometimes there are things that we can offer through the VA. Um, uh, Oh, oh, no, go ahead. No, go ahead. ahead. I wanted to hear your last thought. Oh, um, the other thing is, you know, if you haven't done it in a while, now is a great time to go see a primary care doctor and get your cholesterol checked. Know what your risk is. Now, we didn't talk about diet yet. Um, what is, is mm-hmm. a Mediterranean diet still the best diet for heart health? So Mediterranean probably has the best data behind it. Um, I like to tell patients it's all about moderation. Right. If I told you to give up ice cream for the rest of your life, for most of us, that's not sustainable. It's about finding moderation. Um, But also focusing on fiber can be one of the best ways to help control blood pressure, cholesterol and maintain a healthy weight. So we know that when you focus on fiber, all the nutrition follows. Um, And we also know that high fiber diets can be associated with lower total cholesterol. Now, is it is is this a myth that drinking a glass of wine a day, red wine a day, is good for your heart? Oh, um, I we don't prescribe alcohol for cardiovascular disease. Um, you know, there are some cardioprotective benefits of alcohol, but it really needs to be taken in context of the rest of the patient, right? Because alcohol can interact with some medications particularly medications that um, uh, cardiovascular disease patients may be prescribed, like blood thinners. Um, And we also know that alcohol has some risks in other disease processes. Um, But there may be some protective benefits to no more than one glass a day for women and two for men. So another thing, so people sometimes come see a a, a cardiologist, and a cardiologist gives them a medication, so you need to take this and this but the person maybe doesn't want to take the medication or doesn't take it regularly. Is there, are there other things that they can do? Um, They might say, I want to see if I can lose some weight or I'm going to see if I can exercise more. Is that, is that advisable or is that, uh, is that a realistic plan for someone who doesn't like to take medication? Well, I understand not liking to take medication. Um, There was actually this fascinating paper in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology a couple months ago that looked at some common supplements that use the claim, you know, we help lower cholesterol. Specifically, they looked at things like garlic, turmeric, um, red yeast rice, 
and uh, plant sterols. And what they found is that none of those are even close to as effective as using um, a very low dose of a cholesterol medicine. And they found that they were no better than a placebo. Um, So that tells me that a lot of these natural um, or kind of products that may be marketed as healthy for the heart don't necessarily have the same benefits as the drugs that we prescribe. I think it's really important that you have an open discussion with your physician. If you say, listen, I don't want to take medication and I really want to minimize how many pills I take, having that open and honest conversation will allow the physician to say, okay, this is what's the most important for you um, and, and help you understand the risks of not taking medication when it is prescribed. Another thing that seems to be popular nowadays, talking about heart monitors, when people are diagnosed with certain types of um, arrhythmias and things like that, how has the technology improved with heart monitors? Some of those monitors are actually really good. Um, You know, you think about like the Apple Watch, which can help detect atrial fibrillation. Um, And I actually recommend the Cardia Monitor for some of my patients. This is another um, device that can detect atrial fibrillation. They're not perfect. um, And sometimes they can actually provoke more anxiety than things that they prevent, just because having your watch tell you that your heart rate is too high um, is not going to help you feel any more calm. Um, but uh, they are quite accurate. Now, this is something that I want to. I want to also. I want to make this program about breaking stereotypes and getting into the facts and, and kind of debunking some of the myths out there. Um, people believe that this is a myth that there's no such thing as dying from a broken heart. Is that you're a researcher and you're and you know better than anybody else? Is that a real thing? So there is a condition dying of a broken heart. Um, There's a condition called a stress cardiomyopathy, um, sometimes also called a Takayasu or Takatsubo um, cardiomyopathy. And what this is, is a um, basically the heart is put under a significant amount of stress and it causes the pump to be a lot less effective. And in some patients that can result in a um, heart failure to the extent of death. Wow. So someone who has PTSD or suffers or suffered from mental sexual trauma in the military, is that, is that, could that put them in that risk category if they have depression so, and things like that or anxiety um, things like that? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of overlap between cardiovascular health and mental health. A lot of times these long-term chronic stressors are associated with other types of cardiovascular disease. We see increased risk of heart failure and coronary disease in patients who have a history of um, depression and anxiety and even PTSD. Um, In general, the longer, the chronic, longer exposure to stress doesn't necessarily cause this stress cardiomyopathy. Usually a stress cardiomyopathy is in response to an acute stressor, so something short and quick you know, a spouse dies or, um, you know, they're, they've been put through um, a, a significant illness that can also cause um, an associated heart failure. So how, how a big of an impact does stress play in heart health? Oh, a lot. Um, we know that stress can cause inflammation and inflammation can cause coronary disease. So chronic exposure to stress increases your risk for cardiovascular disease. can also lead to um, increased rates of high blood pressure. So you do research, and that's one of the things I really like about um, you being on the show today is because you're a researcher and you're a doctor doing uh, – doing, so you kind of see 
What's on the cutting edge right now as far as heart health? What are some what are some of the new technology and treatments that are being developed today that might have us have a different conversation of five, ten years down the road? Mm-hmm. So one is detection. The way that we can detect cardiovascular disease has evolved significantly. Um, we think about um, how we can actually look at the arteries around the heart. Fifty years ago, we um, didn't have all of the non-invasive tools that we have now. We can actually use CT scans now to take a picture of a moving heart. This is great. It allows us to see if there's blockages in the major arteries around the heart without having to do an angiogram. And we actually offer that service at Heinz VA. That's um, so kind of a non-invasive uh, way to diagnose coronary disease. Um, we're also finding that um, some of the medications that have been around for a long time really do a fantastic job of lowering cholesterol. And we're finding that there are some newer medications out there that can do an even better job of lowering cholesterol. Um, this, you know, frequently talk about the statins, which are um, cholesterol-lowering medication. We have some newer medications out there that are injectable that you may only have to use twice a year. Imagine you go to see your cardiologist twice a year, you get an injection each time, and and that takes care of your cholesterol. That will be awesome. (laughs) I'm waiting for that after it comes out. Dr. Cohen Ball, she is wonderful and telling us some great information. She is the assistant professor of cardiology at Louisville University and Medical Center and the director of the Heinz VA Women's Heart Program. Thanks for coming on our show. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Got to come back. All right. Will do. Take care. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.